Well, it was quite a week last week, wasn't it? All the uncertainty over Evergrande, the hawkishness, unexpected hawkishness of central banks, continued concerns over supply chains, the emerging fuel crisis in the UK and Europe. So this week, well, you can add a US debt ceiling to the list of worries. The deadline is looming and the Democrats and the Republicans don't see eye to eye. We'll also look at the German election results over the weekend. Could they be shifting a bit to the left or just locked in a three-way split that achieves absolutely nothing at all? Plus, New South Wales Freedom Day. Could it be as soon as this weekend? It's Monday, the 27th of September, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar was a little stronger on Friday. It gained 0.4% on the Japanese yen, but 1.3% up over the second half of the week last week. It's the highest against the yen since June, in fact. But that's not helped the Aussie, of course, which fell almost half a percent on Friday, down to 72.6 US cents. Still better than the uh, the middle of last week when it dipped down to 72.3. The pound has been on a journey too, falling 0.9% the first few days of last week. We gained most of that, only to lose 0.2% on Friday. So choppy. I think is the word for last week. And it was the same for stocks as well in the United States. A big fall early in the week, picking up later. So the S&P 500 is half percent up, but it did have a 1.7% fall at the start of the week. Bond yields are up on Friday. Ten-year treasuries gained two basis points to 1.95%. That is 15 basis points higher than they were on Thursday morning and the highest since the beginning of July. And commodities making quite a few news headlines as well because WTI and Brent up about 1% on Friday. Brent now over $78 a barrel. At WTI nudging 74, prices not seen since late 2018. So it was a heck of a week really, wasn't it? What will this week have in store for us? Well, Ray Attrell is NAB's head of FX strategy in Sydney. Let's look, Ray, at what caused all that volatility last week. And in the early on in the week, it was it was all Evergrande, and we know, but but it seemed to calm down a bit uh, the attitude towards Evergrande, even though they did default on their coupon payments on on Thursday, and will probably do it again. But uh, you know, they defaulted on Thursday, and Friday was actually the calmest day of the week last week. Yeah, morning, Phil. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly there was uh, lots to unpick, wasn't there, from last week? And um, mm. you know, whether excuse me, whether it's Evergrande or whether it's the the Fed and the more hawkish signalling that we've had from other central banks that have sort of you know, dominated the week. It's pretty hard to say. But if I look at, you know, if I look at equity markets, I think it's kind of interesting that most of the Northern Hemisphere markets actually ended up on the week. So European and US stocks, for the most part, was up a look south of the equator. Um, then actually all, all stocks were down, obviously led by that, the Hang Seng, which is where Evergrande and the other sort of large Chinese property um companies are listed so you know in that sense you could say well there has been uh, some contagion at least from uh, from Evergrande um, as you say the rep- we didn't know on Friday for sure whether or not um, Evergrande had met this uh, coupon payment on its US dollar bond um, indications late Friday and over the weekend are that they didn't do that but there is this 30-day grace period before um, a formal default would be declared and then a lot of the stuff that I've been reading suggests that um, you know the Chinese authorities are still sort of insistent that um, Evergrande shouldn't default, that they should, um, you know, not wipe out um, mom and pop investors and that the existing building program should continue, should, uh, should continue and that uh, local authorities should only be there as a very sort of last resort backstop to step in if, if, if necessary mm. to, to prevent contagion for, from Evergrande's potential failure. So lots still to play for there. Um, and we've got the PBOPC pumping money into the system, into the banking system mm-hmm. as well. So 460 billion won last week. Uh, some more over the weekend, but that doesn't That's help right. the underlying problem, does it? And they have and they have more coupon uh, payments this week as well, so they could default again. Right, but well, presumably, given that they didn't pay last Thursdays, it's pretty unlikely. 
pay this week. But they're going to yeah. pay this week. But I think that sort of, uh, I wouldn't say it takes a, a real back seat, but I think nothing's going to happen of, of any great substance, you would imagine, for the next couple of weeks. But it will be coming back to the forefront as that sort of 30-day calendar um, ticks down, which will be obviously the sort of towards the, the end of the third week of October. Um, but I think that you know, the central banks... On the central banks, I mean, what was curious, I think uh, certainly our rate strategists were, were sitting there scratching their heads a little bit at how much the, um, the yield curves flattened um, initially out of the FOMC, but then equally head-scratching at the, 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 the re-steepening of curves that we saw at the end of the week. And actually, if I look at um, US Treasuries over the week, um, the curve actually has hardly changed, even though, as you say, overall yields have risen. Um, we had the Norwich's Bank raising rates on queue. We had a more hawkish than expected Bank of England. Um, and I wonder whether... Um, you know, markets are, are, are quite as confident that, you know, central banks are on top of things ahead of the curve and that um, this will add to the, the view that inflation will be transitory, given that uh, there's really, you know, no signs that um, inflation is going to be coming down quickly anytime soon. So I wonder if that's why we haven't seen the sort of flattening that we have seen in the wake of some of the more hawkish uh, Fed signaling in the last month or two. Well, certainly, if, if uh, you know, if, if inflation is there because of supply chain problems, I mean, we've still got outbreaks happening in China. With the UK has got this crazy situation where they haven't got enough truck drivers, so they've got. Uh, I heard half of their petrol stations closed on Sunday because they couldn't well, get enough fuel out to, out to people. So, uh, I mean, and then you know, look at the price of oil. All of that showing, you know, we're not seeing, uh, you know, inflation is going up rather than down, isn't it? Well, that's right. And the other thing to note is just commodity prices in general have been firm. So, mm. think, so going back to Evergrande, um, you know, at that sort of peak market uh, fears in the middle of the week, um, the iron ore price was, was heading down to $90 and, and threatening to, to fall further from there. Where did we end the week? North of 110 I think, anyway. So uh, so decent gains there and across commodity prices and commodity in general, because one of the big, you know, forget about the financial contagion, so the real economy read through, um, you know, if Evergrande is to collapse in a heap and a lot of existing building pro- programs let alone new ones are going to be you know put on ice then um, you know the implications for commodity demand you know given that uh, I think st- um, steel consumption in China accounts for I think it's over 40 percent of, of, of consumption is accounted for by home building activity then um, you know the read through to commodity demand is great but the fact commodity prices are up suggests that uh, markets aren't too fearful that there is going to be quite that sort of real economy contagion even though we saw things like Japanese stocks of companies with big exposures to China, so paint makers, for example, um, toilet makers, and um, you know air conditioning makers, um, all suffering, and actually brought the Nikkei down to its heels, having been the outperforming stock market in recent weeks due to you know anticipation of, of much greater fiscal spending related to the upcoming LDP and then um, general elections in Japan. So lots of moving parts still. It is a development, isn't it, from panic buying toilet rolls to actually panic buying toilets. <laughs> now, this is like old times. U.S. budget ceiling. Uh, there's another one due. Uh, it's that time when, uh, you know, everyone plays <coughs> brinkmanship. It's happening all over again. The Republicans saying uh, suspending the debt ceiling till December next year uh, is uh, out of the question, which is what the Democrats wanted, wants to do. I mean, it's an obvious uh, time, isn't it, for them to try and 
bring down the size of Joe Biden's spending bill. So there's going to be lots of brinkmanship this week. No, there is. And then the key date, obviously, is the 30th of September, last day of the yeah. US financial year. Um, so at the moment, the um, you know the, the US government does, has no authority to spend a dime after um, close of business on the 30th. So effectively, um, you know, without yeah, some sort of um, continuing or stopgap funding resolution between now and then, um, then we may be going into the weekend with, um, you know, with government shutdowns on our hand. This is sort of separate from, you know, when potentially the US government could default on its obligations if there isn't a, you know, a lifting of the suspension of, or a raising of the debt ceiling. Um, most estimates I'm saying suggest that it will probably be the latter half of October or even the beginning of November before the government actually runs out of cash. Remember, it does all this sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul um, shenanigans with uh, social security mm. funds, etc. So, you know, that's really where the, you know, that's that's the real crucial time. I mean, the US has never defaulted, but, you know, going back to 2011, when um, there was that holy, unholy sort of mess trying to get the debt ceiling raised and um, government was shut down and it came very close to defaulting. Um, and S&P obviously downgraded um, Australia, um, the US's AAA rating. So that, uh, that risk still remains. Um, and that's something more for October and November. Um, and obviously the, the overall fate of the $1.1 trillion infrastructure package and the extent to which it's going to be tied to the broader um, you know, social spending ambitions of the Biden administration still there. It does seem that Nancy Pelosi is at least trying to sort of separate out the infrastructure from the uh, the broader spending bill. So maybe that offers some hope for getting something uh, something done this week. But the longer it goes and the, the more the economy recovers, the more obviously the, the, the Republicans are making the point that, well, do we need this? Well, that's it, and obviously the, the bigger point is, is the more is the moderate, um, you know, the moderate Democrats, obviously led by um, Joe Manchin, who's still suggesting mm. that you know three and a half trillion is, is probably you know two trillion too much. So whether or not those um, you know moderate Democrats are going to be placated or not, I think is uh, is going to be a key focal point this week. Now, Germany, uh, the IFO on Friday, business confidence a little weaker than expected. Uh, no great shakes, I suspect. But uh, we had the German election over the weekend. That was interesting, wasn't it? Because Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel, I should say, is retiring now from government. And it looks like there's no clear winner, which is perhaps not a surprise uh, because it's normally the case in Germany, isn't it? They have to form some sort of alliance. But what could be interesting this time is it might actually have to be a three-party solution, which I suspect means nothing will ever get done. And, and no one wants to see that in the government. So that might uh, blow a bit of confidence in uh, in Germany, mightn't it, this week? Well, let's see. Yes. <coughs> I mean, looking at the exit polls, <coughs> excuse me, frog in the throat, um, Looking at the exit polls, it looks as though the SPD maybe has its nose ahead. Um, I mean, the exit polls were suggesting somewhere between 25 and 26 percent of the vote going to the um, the SPD and sort of 24 to 25 percent to the um, the CDU. Obviously, um, you know, Angela Merkel's uh, or former Chancellor Angela Merkel's party. Um, and then I look down, and the Greens and the FDP, um, who don't make happy bedfellows as a rule in terms of coalitions, um, you know. At the moment, you say that maybe the single most likely outcome is a is the so-called sort of traffic-like coalition of the SPD, the Greens, and the FPD. From a market point of view, I mean, one interest is you know is the fiscal policy landscape going to change as the result of a, of a new government being formed? And as you say, if we're going to end up with a, at least a three-party um, coalition, um, then the short answer probably is not that much. And obviously, the the FDP, which is very much a sort of liberal free market party, and the Greens, who are obviously you know far 
more disposed towards um, much greater spending, um, you know, one would probably be a moderating influence on the other and, and maybe not much changes. But it um, sounds like it's going to be, you know, several days at least and, and possibly longer before we know for sure how this thing's going to work out. Right. Now, the Aussie dollar getting weaker uh, because of the strength in the US dollar, of course, towards the end of the week. Um, and uh, I, I, But I guess, you know, it is all to do with the China story and the US story, isn't it, that's determining the, uh, the, the strength or otherwise of the Aussie. But we are getting closer to, to Freedom Day. Can we expect any enthusiasm or optimism or strength in the Aussie dollar as we get closer to what looks like it's going to be what around October the 11th or 12th? Well, possibly even sooner. The um, you know the Tampa Strickland modelling has been pretty good so far, and uh, and as of Friday, with our uh, weekly vaccine update, he's suggesting that it could be as early as the 5th of October, which is this coming Saturday, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when that 70 in New South Wales, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So you know, 70 percent fully vaccinated adult population or over 16 population. Um, but the Berejiklian government has said that it will be the what was it the Monday after we meet that um, 70%. So, but at the moment, I think the briefings to businesses are that you should prepare for uh, whatever reopenings are going to be allowed and, and intra-regional travel um, from Monday the 11th. So that's still being held out as Freedom Day, which the government doesn't want to call Freedom Day because no. there will still be restrictions. So um, but market impact, um, you know, probably limited. And as you say on the Aussie, we actually ended the week pretty flat. Quite a lot of volatility um, during the week and then some decent gains on Thursday, most of which, which we give it back on Friday. Um, you know, the flip side of that is that the US dollar overall is marginally firmer, but not much. And um, I think you're right, China's still focused, but probably more, less directly Evergrande related and more, you know, how much is the economy slowing and is it slowing further? So things like the PMI numbers that we'll get later in the week, I think will be pretty important. There will be some read through down to Australia from those. And we've got a few federal speakers, uh, Fed speakers around today. Uh, Charles Evans uh, talking at the National Association for Business Economics, Lael Brainard is is talking at that as well. We had quite a few talk, uh, talkers at the end of last week, of course, as well. So the question is, are they going to keep this hawkish slant? Well, they did on Friday. Well, we did have uh, Esther George and um, Loretta Mester, who were considered two of the more hawkish members, um, really throwing their weight behind, you know, an early commencement or a commencement of tapering, actually as early as the November meeting, whereas markets are now conditioned to expect an announcement in November for a December start. And, um, and Mester did say that she is one of the 2022 um, rate hike dots, um, um, but I don't think that was any surprise either. So some interest. Brainard and Evans are very much at the dovish end of the spectrum. So there might be a little bit of a counterpoint there. You know, maybe rowing back a little bit on on, on building expectations of a of an initial um, rate hike or hikes in 2022, which are now almost fully priced. I have to say. But mm. um, but yeah, we got something like 15 Fed speakers, and probably the highlight we're going to have Jay Powell and also Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen both testifying before Congress tomorrow. So I think right. that's probably the most interesting. Yeah, that we want to watch. Absolutely. All right. And durable goods order as well for August for the United States as well tonight. But we'll leave it there for now. Uh, good to talk. Uh, we'll catch you very soon, Ray. Thanks. Will do. Thanks, Phil. And you know what? If this week isn't as exciting as last week, we're going to try our hardest to make it seem exciting on the morning call. I'm Phil Darby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.